Good morning. Let's all stand together. We're going to lift up our voices as we sing victory in Jesus. And then what a day that will be. I heard an old, old story. How Save. 
in the Lord's house this morning. Let's go to him and ask him to come and meet with us. Father in heaven, we come before you. We thank you that we can come and worship together this morning. We ask that it would be you that stirs our hearts and draws us nearer to you. Please help us to dismiss from our mind all the rushing, the chaos. Help us instead to focus in and be able to rest in your peace and worship this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated.
Come thou king, and then all I have is Christ. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, all more songs of loudest praise. Teach me
to us in song. They put in much practice and prayer, and we appreciate it. 
I would like you to take your Bibles with me this morning, if you would please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 is where we're going to look this morning. Um, title of my message this morning is Facing Suffering Like a Christian. Facing Suffering Like a Christian. And I want to start out by taking us back in time. I want to take you to a place called Masada. Masada is in Israel. Masada was one of Herod's remote palaces. It's built upon the top of a mountain. Um, sheer sides going up to Masada. It was a place, it's just outside of the Dead Sea. It's very hot and arid there. He invested a tremendous amount of time, energy, money, into building Masada. Still today, it is one of the number one tourist sites in all of Israel because it's just such an amazing thing. You have to take a tram to get to the top of it. But Masada is really a site that reminds people of suffering because after Herod stopped using it, uh, many things happened in the Roman Empire, many things happened in Israel. About 66 AD, the people of Israel had been so crushed by the Roman Empire, so suppressed that they began to revolt. And from AD 66 all the way up to about AD 74, there was a massive revolt in Israel among the Jews against Rome. To such a degree that in AD 70, Rome sent legions of soldiers who came to Jerusalem, they tore the temple completely down, destroyed the city, and then they exiled the Jews out of Jerusalem. Over 900 Jews went to Masada because it was no longer being used. They used it as a refuge and a rebellion against Israel because here's Herod's palace while it was not currently being used, it was a symbol of the power and the might, the wealth of uh, the Roman Empire. So they get up there, over 900 Jews, there's no way to get uh, supplies. Once you're there, you're there. And Rome decided that they needed to go ahead and deal with this. They sent 8,000 Roman soldiers to go ahead and put a siege around Masada. They built a siege wall around and they waited. And month after month went by and these folks were smart. They had figured out a way to have provision. They had figured out a way to catch just a little bit of moisture. There were great cisterns uh, that held water down inside of this that Herod had built. So Rome got tired of that. They did, we're not gonna wait any longer, it looks bad for us. So they decided to build a rampart, 200 feet high, all built out of slave labor, Jewish slaves. So you have Jewish rebels, the men, women, small children, 900 of them up on top of this mountain. You have Jewish slaves under the Roman whip building a rampart 200 feet high that they might just access a lower entrance to break in and, and make it up there. And then you have thousands of Roman soldiers and they have built camps all around this mountain. And still today, when you go up to Masada, you look down, 
you can see the ruins of the Roman camps all down around there. Where am I going with this? Every one of them is in their own form of suffering. Now, those who are on the top of the mountain, they're rebels who have rebelled against the government, rebelled against Rome, and they're suffering under the oppression of the Roman Empire, the heat, the, the lack of access to anything outside, the pressure of knowing that if they are caught, Rome will not only kill them, but absolutely torture them to death. The pressure, the suffering of that. Then you have the Jews who have been taken, they've been turned into slaves, and they're building the rampart up to conquer these Jews. Now your natural instinct would be, as they're building a rampart, is to kill those who are building the rampart, but how do you kill your fellow Jews? So now there's that dilemma there, that struggle. And then there's the soldiers. And you might think to yourself, well, you know what, the soldiers, they got it pretty good. They, they're living in their own little encampments. Uh, yeah, certainly not unsuffering like those on the top. Certainly not slaves like the Jewish slaves. And sometimes that's what happens to all of us. We look to ourselves and we say, well, my struggles are worse than theirs. My struggles are so much worse than theirs. My struggles... <laughs> That person's got it made. Interesting thing happened recently. Masada is an archeological site and they're continually digging and they came across a Roman legionnaire's pay slip. And it showed exactly how much he made and all the deductions from his pay before he got paid. So it started out, it started out and it said he had received 50, and they, there's a Latin word for what they're paying him. He had he'd paid 50 whatever. And then they started coming down through. They deducted 20 for his food. They deducted 15 for his horse's food. They deducted another seven or something like that for his tunic. Because when he goes into the Roman military, he comes in and they give him basic gear. Everything after that is up to him. And the only way he can get it is through the Roman government, who then now deducts it from his salary. So it showed all his salary, all his deductions, and when you came down to the bottom, it said zero due. So think about this. This is not a week's salary. This was a third of the year. This was found, and it was found just after the Roman Empire had finished their rampart, conquered the top, and the Jews had all committed suicide on top of Masada. So his pay stub represented the period of time during that time. And he made zero. So he was every bit as much a slave as the man building the rampart. Every day, all he got was his food, his horse's food, and whatever he wore out, he had to pay. My point is, on the top of Masada, they're looking down there thinking, boy, those soldiers, they got it made. Those soldiers are thinking, 
man, every single day, I'm just, I'm just getting by. I'm no better off than the slave hauling dirt to build a rampart. Every person in this life, they face certain struggles. Some greater, some less. It's interesting when you come to 1 Peter chapter 4. Listen to what the text says, verses 12 down. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. It says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing is happening unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil speaking of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as a busybody of other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? What shall be the end of them who obey not the gospel of God? As we look at this text, at the very first verses that I read to you, verses 12 and 13, what you find is the scriptures kind of getting, of our, getting our attention about suffering. He wants us to understand that whether we're on top of Masada, whether we're building the rampart, or we're just the slave of the Roman government as a soldier, all of us suffer in our own realm, in our own tasks, in our own world. He starts off and he says to us in verse 12, he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing is happening to you. And he's really trying to just get us to step back as human beings and say to ourselves, you know, everybody struggles. It's part of life. Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, my life should be, come on, it should be easy street. I'm a good person. I don't, I don't hurt people. I don't, I don't steal from people. I don't, you know, why, why isn't my life just a rose garden? Well, really, nobody's life is a rose garden. And to be honest with you, if you lived in a rose garden, you'd find out there's a lot of thorns there too. My little granddaughter came to stay with us for a few days this week. She's five years old. And so she loves to go out with Grampy to feed the cows. And so she comes in and I set up a bucket. She stands on the bucket. I pour my grain in this little wall between us and the cows. I pour the grain in and the cows all come and she's so thrilled. And so first thing, Monday, that cow lifts up its face and she's looking over and he goes to reach out to her face. And she just screams. And of course, cows are extremely jumpy. They're, whoo, man, what happened? I never go in there and scream. So they jump back. They kind of mosey back over to their grain and it lifts its head. And I told her, I said, now listen. 
that cow is not going to bite you. It just wants to kiss you. Now, I never, never imagined she would let the cow kiss her. Five years old, sure enough, that cow lifts its face up, and she just stood there. She let him put that snotty nose right on her face and lick her face. I, I was shocked. But then as soon as it got done, she's like, She thought she was suffering then. <laughs> Whether you're a five-year-old, a 50-year-old, or a 105-year-old, life is full of ups and downs, struggles and victories. And that's what our text is trying to approach us with, is for us to come into a place of reality. This week, uh, I, I get the Addison Independent. On the front page of the Addison Independent was a photograph of uh, a soldier. And just looking shell-shocked and weary. And he is suffering. Or maybe you go to Los Angeles or you go out west along the coast and you see people who are living homeless and they are suffering. And there can be millions of political debates on why or how that happens or what the solution is. But the reality is that person is suffering. And you can get in your car right now and you can drive down to Middlebury and you can go to the nursing home and you can go and start visiting from room to room to room. And you're going to find people who are at different areas of struggle. And why does the Bible bring that to our attention? Because we have to understand that it's not, if you want to be disappointed in life, think that life is, has no suffering. He says to us, don't think it's strange. He said, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Is though some strange thing happened unto you. Isn't it amazing when we do a wedding and the bride and the groom come down in all their glory and all their beauty and everybody's standing around them. And then when we get up here and we start talking to them, we talk about things like for better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. Why? Because that's life. Life has great highs, but it also has great struggles. And so he says to us, he says, stop thinking it's strange that these fiery trials come upon you. They come upon us all. It's because when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, sin fell upon the world, upon humanity, and it broke us. But he comes down because he wants us, he's not trying to beat us into the ground. He's going to lift us up. Listen to what he goes on to say. Verse 13. But rejoice. And as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed. Ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. He's wanting to connect us to our Savior. Because we do face struggles in life. Some small, some great. And he says, I want you to understand, you suffer just as Christ suffered. He, though, suffered sinlessly. Unfortunately, many times we are not 
so gracious in the way we respond to the hardships of life. But he says to us, rejoice. Rejoice in the understanding and knowledge that you yourself are connected to the life that God created and the gift of Jesus Christ. For he himself suffered. So when we think about our sin, and oftentimes it's our sin that brings our own suffering. But when you think about Jesus Christ who was sinless, his suffering was a sacrifice. He did it for you and for me. He came, took upon himself the burden of living as a human being. He did that 100% for you and me, not for himself. He was sinless. He didn't need to die for his sins. He died for yours and mine. So he comes down. He wants us to understand. Yes, life is a struggle. Whether you're on top of Masada building the rampart or a soldier, it's tough. But he says, I want you to understand you're connected to Christ in the sense that Christ also suffered. Rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. But he wants to back up a little bit because he wants to bring things into perspective. Verse 14. He says, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. So if your suffering is because you've stood for the purpose of Christ, he says, be happy. Be happy that you've stood for your Savior. You've stood for the cause of Christ. This year's youth camp, this summer, uh, in August, when we do youth camp, our theme for camp this year is rise up. And our challenge to the teens this summer is going to be, hey, you're a chosen generation to rise up for Christ. Stand up and speak up and represent him. You and I as well. So he says, if we're reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. If you've been given the courage and the strength to stand up for Christ, and because of that, somebody mocks you, ridicules you, even beats and abuses you. He says, hey, rejoice in the fact that you've stood for Christ. Happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And then he says in the last part of verse 14. On their part he is evil spoken of. But on your part Christ is glorified. So wherever you are. Whatever your circumstance. Maybe you feel like you're on the top of Messiah. Maybe you feel like you are truly being persecuted even unto death. Do it for Jesus. Or maybe you're that, that you feel like you're that slave who's building the rampart. People pushing you, pushing you, abusing you, ridiculing you, mocking you. Do it for Jesus. Or maybe you feel like you're a slave to the man. However we want to say that. That's what the Roman soldiers were. They were slaves. They just didn't recognize it that way. But man, when you work for three months, get paid 50 denarii or whatever it was, and they charge you 50? That's pretty bad. We all find ourselves in all different odd circumstances. And we look at it and we may think to ourselves, but boy, they just have it so much better than I. And God says, wait, 
All of us struggle. But then he's really going to bring it home to us. Look at what he goes on to say as we come down into the latter part of the text that I read to you. Look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as a busybody in other men's business or, or matters. Wow. He just talked about the universal struggle, the universal suffering. But then he says to us, he says, now if you're suffering for Christ, count it joy. And then he gives us a warning. But do not find yourself suffering for being a murderer, a thief. These are kind of like the top, the top deal. You know, if, if we were to pull our room in here and say, how many of you have murdered? Um, I'm, I'm personally thinking it's going to be very few. <laughs> when I was in Bible college, I worked for a machine shop right on the edge of Springfield, Missouri, called M&D Pneumatics. And I had, I had started as a machinist in high school after school. And so when I went to college, that's how I paid my way. And then we had to take preaching classes. And they told us, they said, find anywhere to preach. And I thought, what better place than the break room at the machine shop? I mean, there were probably 50 or 75 guys on our night shift. So I went around to all the guys at the machines and I told them, I'm going to be at lunchtime. I'm going to do a little short five minute sermon because that's what was required for my class in the break room. And one of the guys ran a great big surface uh, uh, grinding machine, huge surface grinding machine. And I went up to him. I told him, I said, listen, break room during lunch, going to do just a five minute devotion. And he looked at me, he said, he said, you know, when I was in prison and right outside of Springfield is a prison for the criminally insane. He said, when I was in prison at such and such a prison, which I knew, he said, they forced me to come and listen to folks like you. And he said, I served my time as a murderer and I'm not going to come. And I, I, I said, thanks. I didn't say this to him, but I thought, thanks for letting me know, A, you're a murderer. <laughs> and thanks for letting me know you're not coming, so I'm not going to bother you. <laughs> but in reality, I had to do those assignments over and over again. And every time I would go to him. And I'd say to him, I know, I know you had to go before. Just letting you know you're invited, you're welcome. And by the time, because I worked there for several years while I went through college, by the time I was done, he would come and he would sit and listen. Life is full of people who have suffered in so many different ways. But God looks at you and I and he says, don't let me hear of you suffering as a murderer. You and I as Christians, there's no place for that in our lives. It's, it is outside the realm of what God wants. He says, don't let me hear that. 
And the second thing he says is what? Don't find yourself suffering as a thief. So he puts murder and thievery together. And he says, I want you to understand these are serious things. Don't let me hear that you are a murderer or a thief. And don't be bemoaning because you're suffering because you did those things. Listen, man, if you're a thief, if you're a murderer, expect to suffer. But then he comes down. I want you to look again with me at verse 15. Because he gets closer and closer to home for you and I. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer. That's a broad statement, isn't it? As an evildoer. I can guarantee you I've never murdered anybody. Unless I take the Bible text that says if you hate somebody, it's even as murder. I'm probably guilty. But when you look at this text, he says, murder, thieving, evil doing. That's a much broader thing. And all of a sudden we have to do a little introspection. Do I suffer because of my own evil doing? Are there things that I do in my life that bring upon me suffering? I know that we live in a day and age where they're promoting and promoting and promoting marijuana use. But you know what? That brings a level of suffering in, in people's lives. Same thing with alcohol. Same thing with all the drugs, all the substances. They complicate and, and harm people's lives in many ways. I know you can raise your hand and you can say, well, I don't know. The Bible says that uh, Paul told Timothy that he needed to take just a little bit of wine for his stomach's sake. And that was a medicinal purpose. I hear you. When I was growing up, my grandfather Abbott and Taylor were both alcoholics. My grandfather Taylor never made an excuse about it, but my grandfather Abbott would always say, it's my medicine. And it was an excuse. You have to be careful. There's things that we do in our lives that bring upon us suffering. And so if there are evil habits that you've allowed to creep into your life, Expect to suffer. I was talking to the Addison County Sheriff the other day, and I was commending him for having these electronic boxes where you drive down, and all of a sudden it, it says, your speed is. I love those things. Fair warned. So that thing pops up yellow letters. You're going two miles over the speed limit. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you letting me know. So as we're talking, he told me, he says, they also have in there this little clicker that tells the maximum speed that anybody has registered on that box. And he said, there's crazy people, crazy numbers that pop up on that thing. That brings suffering, doesn't it? You start, you start going 70 in a 50, A, you could get in an accident, B, you might kill somebody. C, you might get pulled over, and I don't know what the fine is for that, but it's a lot. It creates suffering, doesn't it? God says in our lives, He says, listen, don't be an evildoer. If you do an evil, if you're doing evil, expect to suffer. 
Then he gives us the fourth one. Remember I said he went from the fathers where we'd all say, oh, I never murder anybody. Came down to thievery, came down to doing evil. What's the fourth one? Let's look at verse 15. He says, or as a busy body in other men's matters. Wow, what a journey from murder to busybody, all in the same verse, all about suffering. He says, don't, don't let it be known that you're suffering for murdering somebody. Don't let it be known that you're suffering for thieving. Don't let it be known that you're suffering because you do evil. And he says, don't let it be known. Don't let me find out that you're suffering because you're a busybody. Wow. We all of a sudden have to step back and say to ourselves, man, I know I'm not guilty of murder. Thieving really try to stay out of the realm of evil. Do we all keep our nose out of everybody else's business? And he's saying we should. He's saying we should. Because it's another thing that brings suffering into our lives, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. So he is bringing us into a place of reality of life. He's telling us, he's saying, don't think it's strange that you suffer. The Christians in that day were suffering to such a point where they're being hunted and persecuted. And he's saying to them under the inspiration of God, don't think it's strange. Christ himself <coughs> suffered unto death. And if you're suffering for Christ, count it all joy. But if you're suffering for murder, I don't want to hear it. If you're suffering for thieving, I don't want to hear it. If you're suffering because you, uh, you got to make sure, doing evil, he said, I don't want to hear it. You, whatsoever you sow, that you reap. And he says, if you suffer because you're a busybody, you're in everybody else's business. He says, I don't want to hear it. Whatsoever you sow, that sure you reap. So when we look at a text like this, we are reminded that God is at work in all areas of our lives. Throughout our whole lives, the small things and the big things, he relates and understands. As we go around this room, if we right now were to have person after person stand up, I will guarantee you that each person in this room, there's some area that they're struggling with. There's some area of suffering. They might say, oh boy, you know, I started going bald when I was 15. <laughs> and now I'm, in my case, 66. And I'm bald. Now that's a pretty minor suffering. In all the realm between that and who knows what would be represented in this room. 
We have people dealing with cancer. We have people who are dealing with failing marriages. We have people dealing with children that they're struggling with. There's a whole realm within our church. But understand that we are all suffering together. Understand that Christ understands, for he himself suffered. And you and I, our job is to rejoice in any suffering we have for Christ's sake. And support each other in what other areas of suffering may come into our lives. We are a church family. Pray for one another. Stay out of each other's business. But pray for each other. Minister to one another. Help one another. And let's stand up. Let's rise up for Christ. Even as I'm going to challenge our teens to do at camp this summer. I'd like you to bow your heads with me as we come to the end of the service. As your head is bowed and as you look in your heart. I am no... And I in no way are try, am trying to demean or negate your suffering. Just the opposite. I recognize and acknowledge that there are many hardships. Just as this scripture recognizes and acknowledges it even unto suffering unto death as Christ experienced. But maybe this morning. Maybe you need to come to Christ and find in him that strength, that peace that only he can give. For he has suffered. He was faced with all the temptations that you and I are faced with except without sin. And therefore we learn in the book of Hebrews that we can come boldly before him. And maybe during this time, You'd like to come and receive Christ. Or Christian, maybe during this time, you'd like to turn your heart to him and ask him to help you through the journey that you're on. Whatever, whatever level of suffering you find yourself in. Father in heaven, as we come before you at the end of our service this morning, I, I pray for your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts. For truly, Lord, you, you know those things that we ourselves can't even understand or recognize. You pray for those things in our lives that we ourselves cannot even pray for. All because you care. I pray that you would help us at this time. Help our church family far and wide. Those here, that are here this morning and those who couldn't be here this morning. I pray that you'd be with them. Be with us. That we may boldly stand for you and diligently avoid the sins that bring greater suffering towards us. Help us to honor you, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Brother John's going to dismiss us in a chorus. The chorus of Since I Have Been Redeemed. Since I have been redeemed. Since I have been redeemed, I will glory in His name. Since I have been redeemed, I will glory in my Savior's name.
were dismissed.